So as our, as our, um, our children, our next generation of leaders in the church, as they go and enjoy their own time of worship and of reading the Word, that's what we're going to do right here. So let's get right into it, shall we, and open up to Acts 24. That is our passage for today. We're going to cover the whole chapter. As uh, you've probably seen as we've been going through the book of Acts, we've been taking big chunks. It's a long book. It's a lot of history and background of the early church, which is great for us as a church in the year 2017 to be reminded of all that God did to establish His church here on earth. And uh, of course, we have also seen through it all in every chapter, no different today, that we see this theme, this great theme of the Holy Spirit guiding and directing the early church leaders, the apostles, the disciples in, um, in their spreading of the gospel and the establishment of His church. And so we have to remember that, that we cannot live the Christian life as a church without the power and the leading of the Holy Spirit. Can we say amen to that? So no matter what it is that you might take away from, from Acts chapter 24 today, remember that, that we can do nothing apart from the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said it would be, it would be better for Him to go um, to be with the Father so that He could leave us with the great Comforter. So let's read this together. This is Acts chapter 24. And um, it'll be up on the screen for us as well. And so what we'll do as normal, I'm going to read through it. You'll get a gist of the story and the scene about what's going on. And then we'll kind of unpack it and look at exactly what it is that God wants us to learn from this passage of Scripture today. So this is Paul before the governor Felix. Remember that he was arrested and uh, there is a plot to kill the Apostle Paul. And so he now gets the opportunity to go before, um, before the governor Felix. So this is kind of like a courtroom drama. Right? We all probably have our favorite show on TV, right? Law and Order, whatever it might be, our sort of our courtroom you know, drama favorite where we get to see what happens, right? And so that's really the scene here today. So as we read through it, just kind of picture it because the Jews bring their attorney, their top attorney, their ringer to come and communicate and bring the charges against Paul. And then Paul gets to defend himself. And then there is a decision that is made. So that's what's going to play out today. And we'll see how that uh, affects us uh, this morning. All right, so let's read that together. And this is um, Acts 24. It says, And after five days, the high priest Ananias came down with some elders and a spokesman, one Tertullus. They laid before the governor their case against Paul. When he had been summoned, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying, Since through you we enjoy much peace, this is him speaking to the governor Felix, and since by your foresight, most excellent Felix, Reforms are being made for this nation in every way and everywhere. We accept this with all gratitude. But to detain you no further, I beg you in your kindness to hear us briefly. For we have found this man a plague, one who stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the world and is a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, but we seized him. By examining him yourself, 
you'll be able to find out from him about everything of which we accuse him. The Jews also joined in that charge, affirming that all these things were so. And when the governor had nodded to him to speak, Paul then replied, Knowing that for many years you have been a judge over this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. You can verify that it is not more than twelve days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem. They did not find me disrupting or disputing with anyone or stirring up a crowd, either in the temple or in the synagogues or in the city. Neither can they prove to you what they now bring up against me. But this I do confess to you, that according to the way, which they call a sect, I worship the God of their fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men themselves do accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. So I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. Now after several years, I came to bring alms to my nation and to present offerings. While I was doing this, they found me purified in the temple without any crowd or tumult. But some Jews from Asia, they ought to be here before you and make an accusation should they have anything against me. Or else let these men themselves say what wrongdoing they found when I stood before the council. Other than this one that I had cried out while standing among them, it is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you this day. But Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, he put them off saying, when Lysias the tribune comes down, then I will decide your case. Then he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody, meaning Paul, but have some liberty and that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and he heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control, And the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and he said, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, then I will summon you. And at the same time, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul. So he sent for him often and he conversed with him. When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus. And desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. Hopefully you could catch what was happening here in this great courtroom scene, right? You remember the centurion and the soldiers had protected Paul from this mob of Jews that wanted to kill him. And so finally the centurion, right? The leader said, well, let's bring him before the governor. He, he didn't want to deal with it, right? They were sort of passing the buck. And so he brought him uh, before Felix. And then finally the Jews came with their, um, with their leader, their attorney, right? And he comes and he brings the case against uh, Paul. And you see what he did there first? He kind of buttered up the judge. You notice that? He's like, oh, most excellent Felix. You're so great and mighty and we have such peace in the land because of you. And if you would just hear us briefly, 
he was doing, I guess, what any good attorney would do, right? He was trying to get his attention and, and get him on his side. And so then they make their case and they basically lay all of these charges, false charges, mind you, against Paul. Three charges in particular we'll look at real quick, but that's what he did. So he brought the charges uh, against Paul before the governor Felix, who was sort of sitting as judge and jury. And so when he was done, he nods to Paul and says, okay, Paul, it's your turn. If you notice, Paul does it very briefly. He doesn't spend a lot of time, you know, trying to get on Felix's good side. He just says, okay, I know you know about the way, and here I am. And he says, basically says, all these charges are false. I haven't even been in town long enough to do all of these things. I came to worship to bring alms, and I was even by myself. I didn't defile the temple. But if you notice, he also didn't spend a lot of time defending himself because then what it says is he then shares the gospel with Felix. And he just says, you know what? The only thing I'm really being accused of is believing in the resurrection. He says, which these Jews, they happen to be Pharisees who agreed with him. They believed in the resurrection of the dead. He says, they even agree with me. So Paul is basically saying, there's no case here. But Paul doesn't even focus his time before the governor on that. What he then does is he takes the opportunity once again before his accusers and those who have his fate in their hands and he shares the good news. And it says that he talks to him about self-control and judgment and he's sharing these things about the way that even the governor kind of knew about. What's interesting then it says that he kind of, the governor then kind of puts um, the kibosh on the whole trial and he says, all right, just kind of go away for a moment because he was getting convicted. It said that in some versions he said he shuddered or he was shaking. And he went away for a time evidently, but he came back with his wife, Drusilla, who was a Jew. So she would have told him, the governor, all about the way. She would have said, yeah, this Jesus, this is who he is and this is what he's teaching. So they knew all about it. And they come back to hear him. And he left them there for two years. But what happened was the governor kept inviting Paul back. Take him out of the cell. Bring him back to me. Because why? Because this governor was corrupt. I'll tell you a little bit more about him in a second. But you know what he wanted? He wanted bribes. It says that, oh yeah, like maybe he'll bring me some money. He kept calling Paul back saying, this time he'll bribe me to get out of jail. But what did Paul do? He kept sharing the good news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And his wife, Drusilla, was there also. Now let me give you a little, a quick little background. It's not our focus this morning, but it's, it's important to understand this. Now Felix was the governor of that region at the time. Felix had actually been a slave. He was a slave who had given freedom and he worked his way up. And if you can imagine what we might think for good or bad about how politicians get into their place. He worked his way up from having been a slave, but he did it in the most ruthless manner. He was immoral and he was ruthless. He was almost like a dictator and he was known throughout the land. So bad he even gets replaced a little bit after this because of how terrible he is. And his wife, his wife is really no different. Now she was a Jew, but you know what we know about her? This is really interesting. Drusilla was a Jew. She was the daughter of Herod Agrippa. Okay, so she was the, so she grew up 
around this. She grew up in the, the house of, of crooked politicians. See that? She was actually betrothed to another leader, but then Felix actually steals her away and she leaves the one husband to go to marry him. Right? And she is also not only the daughter of Herod Agrippa, but um, Drusilla's father was the one who murdered James, the apostle, the, uh, apostle, the, the disciple. Her great uncle was the one who killed John the Baptist. And Drusilla's great grandfather was Herod the Great. Remember, of course, in the Christmas story, what we remember about Herod the Great. The one who had ordered that all male children under the age of two be killed in Bethlehem. Remember that? Ever out of fear. This was the household and the family that Drusilla was from. What a pair they make. And here they are. And uh, they are calling Paul to them. And they, they, they guarantee, they're saying, yes, he's going to bring us some bribes and money. And there's no way that he'll be able to get around it. But what does he do? He continues over and over again to simply remain true to his calling. In the face of any trial or any suffering or any distress, what does he do? He doesn't even worry about his own well-being or even spend so much time pleading his case. He takes the opportunity to share the hope that is within him. Overall, that is really what we should take away from this passage today. That no matter what it is that God is allowing in our lives, our call is maybe not to understand it, to know exactly what God is orchestrating behind the scenes, but our call is to remain faithful, to trust, to be obedient. There were three charges, real quick, that they brought against Paul. They all had political overtones to them. The first charge they brought against him, right, was that he was stirring up trouble. Because, of course, you know, uh, there wanted to be peace in Rome, right, and throughout the whole empire. And so they thought that that would get him, right, that would get the governor incensed, that he was bringing, um, you know, strife and turmoil and causing chaos in the, in the country, right, in the empire. Secondly, um, also concerning the government, they, um, they were saying, hey, you know, he is part of this way. He's part of a sect, right? And that wouldn't have bode well because they gave the Romans, they gave the Jews the freedom, right, with certain, you know, regulations to be able to practice their faith. So in order to, to say that he was part of the way, it made it sound like Jesus and what he was teaching had nothing to do with Judaism. That's why Paul, in his brief defense, says, you know what? I follow the way of the law, and I follow the prophets. He's saying, We're not, I'm not part of a sect, because that was something that would have bode really uh, poorly for Paul. And then thirdly, um, they charged that he was desecrating the temple. And of course, that would have had political overtones, because the Romans did give the Jews permission Listen, to execute any Gentile who went inside the barrier of the temple. They were trying to get him killed. They were just grasping that straws and say, yeah, let's just tell him that he defiled the temple. Remember when, when Paul decided to keep, that, um, uh, to keep that vow? When he got to Jerusalem, he said, why don't you keep the vow with these other men and it'll be a sign of good faith. Well, now the Jews are throwing it in his face, right, to use it against him. And so those were the charges but what really Paul says, and it really just goes to what we're speaking about today, Paul says, he gives a quick defense. None of that is true, but he says, you know what they are really accusing me of? Is believing in the resurrection of the dead. And he said, that doesn't even make any sense as a charge against me because they believe the same thing that I did. Right? 
But Felix, the governor, being always the politician, he was hedging his bets, see? He knew he wasn't going to get any support from the Jews by setting Paul free and dropping the charges, right? But he would gain a lot of support from them if at the very least he kept them in prison. So that's what he did. So you know what Governor Felix actually did in this scene? He, what we call he punted. He just said, uh, go away for a while and we'll come back to this later. And so Felix, the governor, doesn't make any decision. He doesn't make any ruling. Why? Because he was afraid. Because he didn't want to f- suffer the consequences. So I guess like, I don't want to be harping on politicians today, but like any good right person in politics, what he did was he kind of put a good spin on it. And he says, okay, I'm just going to leave Paul in prison. Let's just kind of, you know, let this kind of simmer for a while. And so he didn't, he didn't you know, um, rise up any uh, disturbance with the Jews, but he also uh, then, you know, wasn't making uh, a condemnation of Paul. And so he left him there. And it says at the end of our passage in chapter 24, he left him there for two years, even beyond when he was replaced by Festus. He said he did a favor for the Jews. See, that's what governor was doing so that was sort of our scene today the courtroom drama right but paul's focus was i have the opportunity i'm going to remain faithful even under time of distress over and over again isn't it amazing how many trials and tribulations the apostle paul went through almost being killed numerous times riots against him but he remained faithful to his calling I remember asking uh, one of my mentors, a pastor that I studied under for many years, and I, I remember going through some really difficult times in that church with, you know, just different things with church members and issues and, you know, difficult meetings that we had with people. And I asked them, I said, how do you stay so even keeled through all of these difficulties? And he simply said, confident of the calling. But that doesn't just go for pastors or church leaders. It goes for all of us. Are we confident in the call that God has on our lives to represent Him in this world, to be representatives of hope and joy and love and peace? If we're confident of that call and confident in the One who makes the promise, right, to be the author and finisher of our faith, to bring it all to completion, then we can have confidence in moving forward. Right? There is that great um, verse from Philippians. I believe it's Philippians 1 6. Right? It's Philippians 1 6 says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Right? So, Felix, what did he do? He compromises, but what does Paul do? He preaches. What does he preach? He knew his audience. He knew who he was talking to, this corrupt governor and his wife. So it says in our passage that he preached righteousness, self-control, and the coming judgment. And at that, Felix was frightened, right? We don't even read that Drusilla came back anymore, but Felix did because he wanted those bribes, right? See, but what's interesting here to note, if we kind of look at it and turn the tables, it wasn't really Paul who needed to be delivered by Felix. It was Felix who needed to find deliverance from his sin and guilt through faith in Jesus Christ. See that? Paul knew that all along. That's why he was remaining faithful. And in the end, which happens after our story, Felix is deposed and he's replaced because of his brutality and ineffectiveness. So God did take care of him. Corrupt leaders 
government, corrupt leaders in churches, by the way, are all accountable to God. Are they not? God places authorities and God removes them as well. What is our responsibility? Jesus said to give Caesar what is due Caesar. So we must respect the laws of the land in which we live, but it doesn't mean we need to embrace them. See the difference? Just because the government says something is legal doesn't make it right. See that? So we need to respect the laws of the land we live in, but it doesn't mean we need to embrace them or take advantage of them. God is the one who sets the ultimate standards. No matter what Felix might have decided or didn't do or didn't decide, we know that it is God's will, His sovereign will, and His standards that remain true and stand firm forever. You know, Jesus didn't come to overthrow any corrupt Roman government. You ever notice that? Jesus didn't come preaching and saying, yes, we're going to overthrow this government. Isn't that what the Zionists wanted? Right? And they, they wanted him to come and, and to actually sit on the throne right there and then. And to overthrow by power and force. And Jesus said, that is not the kingdom that I'm bringing. Right? Jesus didn't preach that. He didn't teach that. He didn't come and do it himself. What he did is he came to change hearts. Am I right? There is this, this quote that I say all the time that what we do here is what we see Jesus teaching is not behavior modification, but it is heart transformation. See the difference? It is not about just changing and modifying our behavior. It starts with the heart transformation. That is what Jesus came to preach and to teach and to exemplify. There's certainly a time for protests and speaking up We get to vote, right? We have a say. But our call simply is to obey God, to be faithful in prayer, trust in Him for everything, and share the good news of hope in Christ in any and all situations. That's what Paul did in this situation. Yeah, he pled his case a little bit, but he didn't call out the corrupt leader. He shared the gospel. Felix kept calling him back, waiting for that bribe. But he kept getting the same message. Paul preached to him righteousness, self-control, and judgment. Paul remained in prison for two years. Isn't that interesting? Let's take a moment to look at that. Paul did the right thing, didn't he? He remained faithful to God during a time of tribulation and trial. One we truly can't even uh, uh, comprehend or understand. But yet, how did God answer that prayer? He remained in prison for two more years. So it didn't work out the way maybe Paul thought it would or the way that we would like to see that story end. Did you ever watch a movie and it just didn't have that ending that you were hoping for and that you wanted? So here it is. Paul is doing the right thing. He's remaining faithful and trusting in God, remaining confident in his calling. He preaches the gospel, the good news, even to the governor like he would to anybody else. And he is not freed from prison. It happened before, not this time. So sometimes there is what we like to call a divine delay. Did you ever experience that? Where you pray for something and either nothing happens or it doesn't turn out the way you want? We like to say that God answers prayers and He sometimes says yes and sometimes He says no and sometimes He says not yet. 
right? So ours is to be patient and trusting. It's in God's timing, and that's why we trust. See, the uh, Felix, the governor, he should have announced Paul innocent. There was no evidence to the contrary. Felix knew who Paul was, but he didn't do that. Paul was at his mercy. God could have freed him at that moment, that he had done before, but he didn't. The timing was not right. Paul didn't know why. Like, we don't know why. God doesn't answer our prayers when and how we want, but that's why we trust. God did inform Paul that he must bear witness and go to Rome just like he did in Jerusalem. You remember that? Back in, uh, in Acts 23.11, when it said that Paul was in prison and that God, it says the Lord came to his side and said, you have been faithful in Jerusalem and I'm going to send you to Rome. Remember we talked all about that. If God said you're going to Rome, then he's going to make that happen. Even if you're arrested, you're standing trial in the courtroom of Felix the governor, this brutal leader. Paul must be thinking, just as we would have to, if God said he's going to bring me to Rome, he's got a plan for me, he will make it happen. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, maybe not next year. Paul remained in prison at least two more years. Let it be a great reminder to us that no matter how distant or silent we may think God is, He is not done with us yet. God is not done with you yet. I read that from Philippians 1.6. Paul says, I'm sure of this very thing, the one who began a good work in you, he will perfect it until the day, Christ Jesus. His promises are sure. His ways are just and good. His mercies are new every day. And His love endures forever. There may be corrupt leaders in government. There may be unjust leaders at work. There may be cruel peers at school. There may be unloving parents at home. But God, He is faithful and true. Loving and just. Full of mercy and grace and truth. He promises to never leave us or forsake us, for we are not alone. You know, it was said this morning, and it's so true, in our time of prayer before, <clears throat> before the service, that the holidays, you know, we, we always think of how joyous they are and how festive and celebratory, but the holidays are often, often a time of the most difficulty in the whole year for people. It can remind people of broken relationships and failures in their past. It may lead to a seeming lack of hope and lack of joy in their lives and in the world and even in God. God may seem distant to many, especially this time of year, because it's often a season of discouragement, hopelessness, and even abandonment. But in the life of Paul, as we've been seeing and we see today, through all his trials, facing numerous accusations, physical, mental, emotional hardships, Paul gives us an example that we need. Trust in the plans of the perfect and holy one who makes the promises. Share the hope of Christ, even when you might not feel that hope yourself. The world system in which we live is the realm of our enemy. This is not our home. We're just passing through. Did you ever hear that? That is true. 
But on our way to the promised land, heading for heaven and our glorious new bodies made for the promised heavens and earth, the new heaven, the new earth, we are to represent the Lord all the way as people of hope and joy and love and peace. Those are the four things that are traditionally celebrated during the Advent season as we lead up to Christmas. Remembering and celebrating the birth of the promised Messiah. But we also, this time of year, anticipate His return. Because if He was born once, we know that there is a promise that He will return to us. He is the God that we long for. The God who will one day make all things new. We might not see it this side of heaven. But praise God, we have that great hope, don't we? That He returns for us, don't we? Praise God. Our call is simple until that day to trust and to obey, to share the good news even when all around us does not appear to be so good. We are to remain faithful to a faithful God. See, Paul remained in prison, but his environs did not change his message, right? Our joy in the Lord is not based on our circumstances. Maybe our happiness is, but our true joy is not. Our circumstances, listen, will always change. But God never changes. Is that true? So therefore, He is faithful. We are called to remain faithful in Him. Some concluding thoughts on this. We're going to look in just a moment in a couple of Psalms that I think will really help to to bring this home. You know, sometimes doing what is right can result in suffering and persecution. That doesn't sound like a good equation, does it? (laughs) But we often think of it that way. Well, if I just do the right thing, then God will grant me all those things that I need and desire. You hear that, unfortunately, preached a lot today. Right? That there will be prosperity if only you were to do this or say this or pray this. But oftentimes, doing the right thing, remaining faithful, worshiping God, doesn't lead to immediate blessings. You know, Claudia and I and our family, we're walking through a a season of great difficulty for two friends of ours. Two separate friends who are going through serious injustices. And they are going through the courts, the law of our land. Uh, We are praying with them through it. One of them, it's been uh, a few months. The other one has been over a year going through their trials and tribulations, both believers, both as we see and as they believe in all their friends around them, that they are innocent of whatever charges are being brought against them. They are remaining faithful. They are seeking wise counsel. They are doing and saying all that is required of them and what they should do, not lying, not compromising the truth. And it seems in both cases... Things do not look so good right now. Why would that be? We struggle with that ourselves as a family as we pray for these close friends of ours and we walk through this season of discouragement and despair with them. Why would a great and mighty God allow this to happen? Isn't that the question we always hear asked? Why do bad things happen to good people? We don't know how God is going to answer in either of these cases. It was actually two years ago. We were walking through this exact same thing with another friend of ours who happened to be in the ministry. 
suffering great injustice at the hands of other people in the ministry. Didn't turn out so well for him. Why? I don't know. But what I know is that all three of these friends, including the two we're walking through this season with right now, they are remaining true to God's calling in their lives. And you know what? It might turn out that telling the truth doesn't find freedom for them. I don't know. Only God knows. There was even in one sense the same thing happened here where the court case was delayed. Is that good or bad? I don't know. It delayed the answer, getting the, going through the whole process. But it gave us more time to pray. It gave them more time to share their faith with their attorneys. See, we don't know what God has in store, but the call is for us to remain faithful, even in the light of great injustice. See, the problem is often that we equate the goodness of God with material prosperity and physical health and emotional well-being. Is that what God promises for us each and every day? Does God promise when we commit our lives to Him and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for eternal salvation that all will be well with us? Did Jesus not even just promise the opposite? But what is our call? To question God? No. To remain faithful. I think it would help us to also recognize that our Lord is often nearer. I won't say often. He is always nearer to those who are suffering. I think it's Psalm 34. It says that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. Do you ever feel brokenhearted? Do you ever feel just crushed under the weight of injustice or sin that you cannot overcome, that you've been praying that God would deliver you from and release you in bondage from? And over and over you return to that same sin. God is close to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. Would you look as we, in our, just our last few minutes together, look at Psalm 73. It'll be up here on the screen. I'm going to read the whole psalm. I think you'll see why I chose to read it. Surely, God is good to Israel, the psalmist says, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They don't have any struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. Did you ever find yourself saying those things? Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations, they have no limits. They scoff. They speak with malice. With arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. And they say, how could God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like. Always free of care. They go amassing wealth. And we look at that. Why do the wicked prosper? What a theme of the Psalms it is. Right? 
Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure. How about that? The psalmist is crying out to God and being honest. We can be honest before God. He says, surely in vain I have kept my heart pure. I've washed my hands of innocence. All day long I've been afflicted. He's saying, I've done all the right things. But all day long I've been afflicted. Every morning brings new punishments. How about that? If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply. Till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They are like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless, I was ignorant, I was a brute beast before you. Yet I'm always with you. You uphold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? In earth has nothing that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell all of your deeds. Isn't that what Paul was doing? In the time of distress, he probably looked around and said, why are the wicked prospering? Why are those who are accusing me finding favor with the governor Felix? Why is this happening? But then just as the psalmist does, he says, you know what, God, forgive me, I was arrogant. I was longing for what the wicked had because it looks like they always prosper. They always get what they want and they don't have all of the common ills that I face. I get up in the morning and it's just a new day of punishments. Did you read that? Every morning I wake up, what's the new punishment for today, God? Right? You wake up, you get out of bed and something else hurts? I guess there it is. That's my new thing for the day. But here the psalmist says, God, forgive me. I was arrogant. I forgot that, you know what? I get to be near you. You're the sovereign God, the Lord. Who do I have in heaven but you? All these things on earth, they mean nothing. I have no treasures on earth. And then he finally recognizes, God, I know. It might not be even in my lifetime. I might con continue to just wallow in misery and, and just find it every step that I take. But God, your timing is perfect. Your promises are sure. And you are just. And he ends by just recognizing back to God, yes, you will judge the wicked. It's not for me to judge. You are the one who judges. God appoints those leaders in our lives, but God will also take them away. And then Psalm 119. Just a portion of Psalm 119. It says this, Before I was afflicted, <clears throat> I went astray. But now... I obey your word. You are good. What you do is good. Teach me your decrees. 
Though the arrogant have smeared me with lies, I keep your precepts with all my heart. You picture maybe Paul remembering this psalm, right? Their hearts are callous and unfeeling, but I delight in your law. It was good for me to be afflicted. Wait, what did he just say? It was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. The law from your mouth is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. We would all love to have more money, wouldn't we? Yes? But what does the psalmist say? I'd rather have your law, God. I'd rather be with you than all that the world can offer. This time of year we celebrate and remember Emmanuel, we sang it before, which means God with us. We can take solace in that, that we get to be with God. I end with these five things. Talking about perhaps the idea of a divine delay in God answering our prayers. He allowed Paul, who was doing the right thing, to remain in prison two more years. How is that fair? That is God doing His thing. First, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you can know and be sure that God's plans for you are good. They're good for your spiritual growth and to be a blessing to others. Also, we can't assume that our current circumstances are necessarily a punishment for wrongs that we have done or even a failure on our part. This wasn't the case with Paul in our text today. Paul's confinement followed a brilliant defense and a faithful proclamation of the gospel, but God allowed him two more years in prison. Also, suffering and trials are often the opportunity to minister to others. Paul took that opportunity and his suffering and trials to minister to Felix, his wife Drusilla, to the soldiers, to those who were his accusers. Suffering, times of waiting, these divine delays, they are often preparation for future ministry. God, I believe, is always preparing us for what's next. Sometimes we need that suffering you know, um, it's, it's very common, this, uh, this metaphor, this illustration, but it really hits home. You've always heard, right, about how the caterpillar who turns into a butterfly needs to be in his cocoon and go through that struggle in order to come out the other end and break through that cocoon to be the beautiful butterfly and fly away. The worst thing to do would be to find a cocoon and know that the caterpillar is struggling and to help it out. You know why? Because it will either die or never become what God intended for it to become. See, the growth is in the suffering. And that's not easy to hear. It's not nice to hear, right? I don't want to remind you or remind myself of that. But that's God's ways. That we learn about Him. We learn about ourselves. Perhaps we get ministry, uh, ministry opportunities. Perhaps... We recognize God is preparing us for something in the future as He allows us to suffer and go through difficulties. Finally, it may be that we never know in this life what God's purposes were through any of our difficulties. Sometimes He reveals it to us and we can see it. We praise God for that. 
but sometimes we won't see it this side of heaven. Remember Job? I don't think Job really ever knew exactly why all those things happened in particular, but Job grew in his understanding of God and in his faith without ever really knowing why God allowed everything to happen the way it did. So our call, which we can be confident in, is to trust, remain faithful, share the hope of the good news of the gospel. Even during times of struggle and difficulty, we recognize that God has our good in mind. Is Romans 8 not true? That God is working together for the good for all those who are in Him, right? Paraphrasing, and called according to His purpose. It doesn't say everything will be good, but God is working it out for the good. So what are we to do? To trust in Him, to remain faithful through it all, through it all, right? Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your goodness. We thank You for Your mercies. Oftentimes, God, we cry out to You, and You do deliver us from our enemies, and You do deliver us through Your mercy and Your love from our trials and tribulations. But Father God, help us to remember that it is Your will and Your ways that are true and sure and just and right and pure that we are to just remain in You. Father God, we know as the psalmist reminded us that we look around and we see those who appear to be wicked and and not following You at all, not even recognizing You. They appear to be prospering. Perhaps, Father God, according to this world's standards, they will. But, God, we don't live according to the world's standards. We live according to your standards. God, would you help us to do that? In our deepest, darkest times of struggling, even perhaps during this Christmas season, when it can be so difficult, when it can remind us of broken relationships or failed opportunities, God, would you help us not to dwell on those things? but to look at the hope, to look at the love, to look at the peace, to look at the joy that Jesus Christ brings. It is that that we celebrate when we recognize and remember the birth of our Lord Jesus, Emmanuel, God, with us. Father God, continue to show us your way. Reveal Yourself and Your Word to us. Carry us during those times when we can't even walk or take another step. Would You be merciful? Grant us that patience and that peace to simply wait on You. And through it all, our eyes will remain fixed on You. To set our eyes on things above where Christ is, not on things of this world. And we'll give You all the glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray.